Hey, this is Tom Wopat. You're listening to Stuck in the 80s. It's amazing, isn't it? Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the hijinks. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow, and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. The opportunities. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. And the wisdom. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears with TampaBay.com. Today, our epic interview with Tom Wopat. That's right, Luke Duke from the Dukes of Hazard is here with us today. He's touring the country as the lead in Chicago. And he's coming to town here in Tampa Bay this weekend. But before he arrives, he gave us about 20 minutes on the phone. We're going to ask him about Dukes of Hazard. We'll ask him about some of his other career highlights. And it's going to be a fabulous conversation. Really looking forward to it. You Duke fans, he's got some interesting information for you. So on with the interview. Welcome to the Stuck in the 80s podcast, Mr. Tom Wopat. So Chicago has staged more than 4,000 performances on Broadway. Why, why do you think this musical is so popular? Well, I'd have to say, you know, it's, it's a sign of the times. Uh, you know, it was first mounted back in, in the 70s, kind of post-Watergate, when there was a certain cynical edge to the country. And then it was mounted again in 96, and I think that the country's even more cynical now. I mean, and especially... When you're talking about uh, celebrity um, trials and stuff, that uh, I mean, they really strike a chord with the American public. You're talking about, you know, O.J. and Michael Jackson and Martha Stewart, Bill Clinton, you know. So uh, it's stuff that's familiar, and it uh, really does strike a chord with the uh, with the American psyche. How many times have you appeared in the production? Well, not four thousand. I've been doing it. Uh, on and off since uh, 2004, I've probably done, I would say, between three and 400 performances of it. How'd you come to appear in Chicago? Well, I was, uh, I had done Annie Get Your Gun on Broadway and, and uh, got a Tony nomination for that uh, when I was working opposite uh, Bernadette Peters. And the same producers that produced Annie Get Your Gun produced Chicago. So when there was an opening on the road for Flynn, they, they gave me a buzz and asked me if I'd be interested in I've been doing it ever since. When your career started back in the 70s, could you have foreseen the direction it would take over the last 30 years? You know, uh, the, the interesting thing is that I actually started in musical comedy. Um, I started when I was, like, in junior high, started doing musicals and was a leading man in musicals, like, when I was 12 years old. And here I am um, 43 years later and still doing the same thing. So, in a way... Yeah. I mean, the Dukes of Hazard thing was definitely an anomaly and something really outside of what whatever I aimed at. I always uh, thought of myself as a singer first and an actor second, and uh, most other people thought the same way. 
So, um, you know, it's been a very interesting career. Uh, the funny thing is that uh, a couple of years ago, I got to do Glengarry Glenn Ross on Broadway, a mammoth play. Um, you know, non-singing role, my first dramatic thing on Broadway, and that was really quite successful as well. Did you enjoy going back to a non-singing role? You know, I hadn't really done a non-singing role in that kind of high-profile situation, and uh, it was it was very rewarding. I, I can't say it was fun because I, I played kind of a putz, and uh, who kind of got like smacked around every night, and uh, it was a very a very poignant piece. It's a if you've not seen it, it's worth seeing sometime on the stage because it's an amazing play. It's probably Mammoth's best. So Dukes of Hazard, you know I'm going to have to ask you about that. How did that role come about? Well, I was in New York. I'd been doing Broadway stuff. Uh, I'd had my first Broadway show already, and I was working on a... I just finished up a production of uh, Oklahoma off-Broadway, and, uh, you know, they sent me the script, and I went in and read, and... Later that afternoon, my agent called me and asked me if I wanted to fly to L.A. to screen test for it. So that's the way it happened. Was it a no-brainer to uh, take that kind of a role? Well, you know, I mean, yes, in the sense that it was more money than I'd ever seen by a long shot. But it was also, you know, I had just gotten my feet wet in New York. I had just kind of started to get to a comfort level there. I'd been there less than a year and uh, had already been on Broadway, was making a living, putting away some money had a nice apartment, and uh, then all of a sudden my life was turned upside down. Uh, it was kind of disturbing, but at the same time, it was an awful lot of fun. <laughs> Do people still recognize you as Luke Duke? Not too much, not too much. I, I, you know, I have a much different look these days. I'm much older, and uh, you know, I, don't, I don't wear my hair long at all anymore, and I have a little goatee thing, and, you know, I'm... I'm one of those people whose looks change when they get older. There's a lot of people who don't, but I do. Does it ever get trying dealing with fans from a TV show? Well, you know, not so much. I mean, this part of things, actually doing it for the media, is probably the most that I have to do it. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a chore per se. It's just that it's kind of, a lot of it is kind of ancient history. Um, you know, I deal with fans uh, when I'm out in the public situation where they know, you know, that I did the show. I deal with fans on a daily basis, but they're all pretty respectful. And, and uh, you know, it's every only once in a while where somebody says, God, what happened to you? <laughs> I say, hey, hey, that was 30 years ago. You look a little different, too, pal. <laughs> what made the Dukes of Hazard such a cultural institution for so long? You know, there's no real um, analysis of that sort of thing. I think it kind of tapped into a certain area of the uh, American psyche that hadn't been tapped before. Um, it kind of came on the heels of some of the Smokey and the Bandits kind of thing. Um, so there was like a certain kind of comical disrespect for the law. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't lawlessness, but it was like the law was screwed up. And we were kind of making things right in our own little way. And also, you know, there was no cursing. There was no blood. There was no real sex. Um, I mean, you know, Daisy's short shorts were about as sexy as it got. And that's pretty sexy. But it was just a show that appealed to all generations, and it, and it seems to continue to. What was your reaction when you heard that Hollywood had turned it into a movie? Well, I wish they wouldn't have done it, but... You know, I, I've not seen it. I, I don't really have an opinion about the movie. I I would find it hard-pressed to be 
you know, an improvement on the original. I, I would like to see it someday just to see what they did with the car. But, you know, from what I've heard, they're kind of disrespectful to a little bit more of a slacker comedy. I mean, you know, that term hadn't even been invented when we did it. And we didn't really think of ourselves as slackers, but I'm sure we were. <laughs> but, yeah, we, I, I think that we had a little, uh, at the same time, more serious and yet more, um, more fun approach to the whole aspect of it. Let me ask you a question about your music career, because a lot of your fans from TV probably don't realize you've released several albums. No, Ruby, it's you. They say, Ruby, you're like a song. You just don't know right from wrong. How does your music career fit into your acting career? Well, I've always kind of dovetailed things around. And what I do a lot of times is, like, for the live performance of the music, I will book stuff way out ahead. And then if, uh, you know, if a musical or a, or a movie or a TV thing happens to interfere, then we'll deal with that when we... So it's, it's, I've never really had a serious problem with it, and I've always been able to maintain some sort of musical performance schedule. So, you know, I get kind of the best of both worlds. Several other 80s icons, including Richard Gere and Huey Lewis, have played the part of Billy Flynn in Chicago. I'm just kind of wondering, have you seen their portrayals, and did you take anything from their performances? Well, let me say this about that. I personally, I don't go out of my way to look at someone else's portrayal of a character for insight. Um... If anything, I would probably do the opposite in going out of my way not to see it so that I let the information that's on the page and in the context of the show, I let that inform what my character does. Having said that, um, in this particular case, uh, I know the guy who originated the revival role very well. Jim Naughton is a guy that I've replaced on and off for 30 years. <laughs> My first Broadway show, I replaced him, and I love my wife in that, back in 1978. And and I know, I know the approach that he has to a character, and it's very straight, it's very direct, it's very honest, and I respect that. And that's kind of where that's my point of departure. What's the toughest part of doing a touring production like this? Uh, well, basically the travel. Um, you know, we're. Uh, sometimes, like, we have split weeks, like this week. We're in Athens, Georgia today, and we'll be in Clearwater tomorrow. And that that part of things is tough, and just keeping yourself in shape to perform and, and you know, being present and not letting the minutia of your hotel situation and your food situation and, you know, your parking situation, not letting that get in the way of, of what you have to do artistically. Uh, I personally, I kind of feel strongly both ways. <laughs> I like being back in Manhattan with my girlfriend when I'm off the tour. But when I'm on the tour, you know, there's always things you can find in the town. Like we're in Athens, Georgia today, and I just found a great, like, uh, it's soul food restaurant, basically. You know, like meat and three, that kind of thing. And so that kind of stuff... Uh, you just don't come across every day, and that's one of the nice things about traveling around the country. We were in, last weekend, we were at the Fox Theater in, in St. Louis, which is one of the most amazing theaters in the country. It's 
just stunning and amazing acoustically. 4,000 seats. So, you know, every city has its own little thing that you sometimes you got to look a little harder than other cities <laughs> for what is a, a charm about them. But they all do have something to offer. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Clearwater. I've been down there many times, and I very much like the area. Is there a scene or a song in Chicago you particularly look forward to doing each night? Well, I, you know, the first one, actually, is the big one. You know, when I come out and sing All I Care About Is Love and then end up with the gun. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the silver-tongued prince of the courtroom, the one, the only, Billy Flynn. Uh, that scene is kind of my show in a nutshell. Um, the second act, uh, there's there's work to be done, but that first scene is really the one I look forward to. And, and when I'm done with it, I feel like, okay, now I can kind of relax. Uh, that, that first one is, is the tough one. It also sets the tone for the character in that you figure out, okay, here's the guy who's going to tell us what's going on and, and what, and to keep the show moving. I mean, Billy is really the engine of the, of the show. He really keeps it moving forward. So what would you like to do next in your career? Any plans for what you'll do after this tour ends? Well, you know, the tour kind of is open-ended, so who knows what, what, what that brings. Um, I personally have a, a commitment to do a, a workshop of a new show in July. They're doing a musical version of um, Catch Me If You Can. Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks piece. And uh, I'm playing the Christopher Walken part. Oh, that's Leonardo's father's part. Pretty intense material. They've not really dialed in the book yet, but the music is amazing. It's Mark Shaman, uh, the guy who did uh, Hairspray. But a totally different vibe to it. You know, it's like I, he gave me a couple of big Frank Sinatra type swing songs that are just, it'll just blow the top off the place. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And also, there'll probably be a new album in the works, you know, that Arlen record. But I'm definitely going to make another album here in the next year. Well, we look forward to seeing you here in Clearwater, Florida, from April 20th to 22nd at Ruth Eckerd Hall. Tom Wopat, it has been a pleasure. All right. So there you go, Tom Wopat. Very interesting guy, very friendly guy. Can't wait to see him in Chicago this weekend at Ruth Eckerd Hall. Anyway, that's what we got for this week. We'll see you next week when it'll be Sean Daly, Kathy Wass, and me talking about the one-hit wonders of 1985. Until then, I remain here, firmly stuck in the 80s. Making their way the only way they know how. Stuck in the 80s is produced by the St. Petersburg Times and TampaBay.com. To read our blog, go to blogs.tampabay.com slash 80s. Email us at stuckinthe80s at tampabay.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes.